Assalamu alaikum, bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Welcome everyone and thank you for joining us for this historic occasion, the Imam Ali Conference, celebrating the spirit of reform hosted by Maulana Sayyid Jawad Khizbini Group, who tirelessly work on social, political, religious, and humanitarian issues with the aim to provide a platform for American Muslims to advance political, social, economic, and religious goals important to our community. Maulana Sayyid Khizwani and his associates have for years made, made it their mission to provide American Muslims a forum to foster interfaith unity, to participate in civic and political responsibilities to dispel misgivings about Islam and Muslims, and to help fellow Americans better understand Islam through the Quran and the teachings of Prophet Muhammad and his Ahlubayt Special thanks to Ummah Ahlubayt TV, Baron Hotel Group, and 35 other vital partners and sponsors who have joined Maulana Sayyid Khizwini and his associates for this great effort in organizing this global conference on behalf of the Muslim community. And, he, and here we are today, celebrating the values and teachings of Ali ibn Abi Talib salam, the cousin and son-in-law of the Prophet Muhammad for which this conference is in honor of. We continue to use his teachings as an example in establishing a regime based on justice, democracy, and encouraging knowledge. In fact, long ago, Imam Ali wrote a long letter of guidance after appointing Malik al to be governor of Egypt. He advised the new governor that his administration will succeed only if he governs with concern for justice, equity, poverty, and prosperity for all. The very same fundamentals in which American democracy was founded upon, former Secretary General Secretary General Kofi Annan and many other statements have quoted his letter in their speeches to follow Imam Ali's guidelines to govern. As, and, and as you all know, we have just fi finished what was arguably the most critical election of our lifetime, and the implications were enormous. Nobody felt the urgency as deeply as the Muslim American community. The outcome of last year's election and all elections going forward will impact critical issues of, for us, both as Muslims and as Americans. As everyone knows, the previous administration has committed a litany of actions that have meant to discriminate against the Muslim population 
and has directly deepened Islamophobia and increased hate crimes in this country. The last election was a referendum on the policies of the past four years. It's important we show our strength together as the Muslim community. Now look, we may not agree with the president on all the issues. I don't need to tell you that. We rarely agree amongst ourselves on all issues. But Muslim Americans will have a seat at the table in this administration. Already, engagement with the Biden administration have yielded results on issues critical to our community, including the ending of Trump's travel ban and the targeted violence and terrorism prevention program, strengthening hate crimes, data collection, and reporting and ensuring that watch list. And no-fly list programs do not continue to adversely impact individuals or groups based on national origin, race, religion, or ethnicity. These and many other commitments were made because of the engagement of an increasingly active and civilly-minded community made up of Muslim American leaders. Following the teaching of, following the teaching of, uh, sorry, I'm getting muted here. Following the teaching of Imam Ali, this civic engagement in our duty, not only as Americans, but as Muslims, as Muslims, because neglecting this duty renders us complicit in the election of leaders who spread racism and Islamophobia. And of course, today we are joined by a very special guest who is very dear to me, and I've had the honor and pleasure of introducing him at various forums in the past 16 years as he has been serving in Congress. He has known our community very closely. He's a member who have visited our various centers and mosques, including IPF Mosque in Houston, when he was hosted by our great leader, Marhum Maulana Sayyid Zaki al Swaj for iftar right after the inauguration of the mosque. If you could bear with me a couple of minutes, I'll try to do justice to cover the key elements of his career for those who do not know him well enough. Our, honest our, our honored guest this evening is a man who on January 3rd, 2021, took the oath of office to serve the people of Texas, Texas's ninth congressional district and began his ninth term in the United States House of Representatives. As a veteran civil rights advocate, he has fought for those in society whose voices too often, like the Muslim community, are not heard. He currently serves on the Financial Services Committee as well as the Committee on Homeland Security. On the Financial Services Committee, he serves on three subcommittees, diversity and inclusion, housing, community development, and insurance, as well as the oversight and investigations. 
where he holds the position of a chair. On the Committee on Homeland Security, he serves on two subcommittees, Emergency Preparedness, Response and Recovery, and Border Security Facilitation and Operations. Within the Democratic Party, he holds the position of Assistant Whip. Born in Louisiana, in New Orleans, Louisiana, his family taught him the importance of positive preparation through education and righteous resistance to overcome persistence injustice, persistent injustice. He attended Florida NM University, Howard University, and the Tuskegee Institute. Without receiving an undergraduate degree, he enrolled in the Thurgood Marshall School of Law where he, earned, where he earned his Juris Doctorate in 1973. After graduating from law school, he co-founded and co-managed the law firm of Green, Wilson, Dewberry, and Fitch. Throughout his career, he has enjoyed the respect of his colleagues, as well as wide cross-section of community leaders who have praised his legal skills, impeccably char character and impeccable character and ability to work with people of diverse background. As a testament to his exceptional service to the community and in recognition of his outstanding professional achievement, as well as his superior leadership ability, he has received numerous rewards and accolades. Steadfast in his commitment to serving the communities he represents in Congress. He is a member of the Congressional Asian Pacific American Caucus, which is CAPAC, as well as the Congressional Black Caucus, CBC. As evidence of how truly blessed he believes he is, when asked, how are you? He often responds, better than I deserve. And of course, on December 15, 2015, he announced on the House floor in front of all his peers and constituents that he stands in solidarity with the Muslim community. Please let me welcome my brother and my good friend, our leader, Congressman Al Green. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, what a wonderful thing to have a friend uh, such as the Honorable Lufthi Hassan, who has been with me from the genesis of my journey for the most part to Congress and uh, has stayed with me. Uh, and I say it's wonderful to have such a friend because sometimes it's difficult to maintain friendships with people who tend to be a part of the avant-garde, who, who tend to be on the cutting edge, who tend to believe that the words liberty and justice for all means liberty and justice for all, who tend to believe that government of the people, by the people, for the people, includes all of the people. My good friend has stayed with me through the good times, but more importantly, through the very difficult times. And for this, I will always treasure his friendship. I'm grateful for this great honor that you have accorded me, the preeminent privilege 
the superlative pleasure and the splendiferous honor to speak to you today. Uh, it is a wonderful thing to have people who are willing to sit, listen, and hear your words. Um, people have many things that they can do in life. And listening to another person is not something that they have to do. So whenever I am granted this privilege, I never want to take it for granted. I want to maximize the use of it. And I want to make sure that the words I share are words that are meaningful to those who have taken the time to listen. I promise not to be long. I promise to take questions. And I hope that what I will say will have a positive impact on some of the persons who are listening. My message to you today is a very simple one. It is one that you don't hear a lot. It is one that is meaningful even if it is ignored. My message for you today is simply this. Your time has come. Your time has come. Do not expect this to be published across the length and breadth of major newspapers and news stations, if you will. Your time has come. You have been involved in the trenches. You have worked behind the scenes. You have financed campaigns. You have done all of the things to help people rise to the occasion. I remember my friend, Congressman Mickey Leland, who was a mentor to me, reminding me that great people always rise to the occasion, but the greater people make the occasion. You have been the occasion makers and much of what you have done has become very beneficial to this country. You were there to support MJ Khan here in Houston, Texas the first Muslim elected to city council. Many people thought that he would never win, but his time arrived. He felt in his heart that it was there for him and for the community. He did not run to hold public office, he ran to make change. Your time has come and it is time to make the change that can make America even greater. I believe that the really big things, the things that change the world, the things that, that are done at a time when most would say they cannot be done, they are done with the heart. The big things are done with the heart, with courage. Dr. Martin Luther King was a great orator, but there were other great orators of his time. Dr. King was an intellectual, but there were intellectuals of his time. The thing that set him apart from the other intellectuals and great orators was his courage, his heart. He took positions that others knew they could take, but did not. They dared not do so because they were waiting on the perfect time. They were waiting on all of the stars to align. The stars most often align once you have made the decision. 
Before the decision is made, the stars are rarely aligned. And you must believe, as I do, and we should, that if you are taking a righteous stand, if your desire is to bend the arc of the moral universe toward justice, we have to believe because we are believers. We have to believe that there will be an alignment. For some, it would be chance and circumstance, but for others, it can be divine intervention. But there will be an alignment that will make a difference. I assure you, uh, there was no one that I knew who believed that Barack Hussein Obama could become president of the United States of America. No one, all of my friends, we thought that it would be appropriate to support him because he had the courage to do it. We knew that he had the credentials. We knew that he could make a difference, but we supported him for the most part because he had the courage to do it. And the stars aligned after he became a candidate. Our time has come, your time has come. Do not wait for the perfect time. Take advantage of the time that exists. Do the things that you know can make a difference and the world will recognize your righteous deeds. I will mention two more persons. You obviously are aware of Congresswoman Omar. Congresswoman Omar came to Congress because she had the courage to run and she had the knowledge and the wisdom and the belief that it was not only winnable, but that she could make a difference. She didn't run to hold a position, nor did Congresswoman Tlaib to hold a position. They ran because they wanted to make a difference. And if that is the basis for a movement, if that's the reason, the rationale for doing something that others would dare not do, you can make that difference. So my honor to be with you and to share with you just that simple thought, your time has come. And I would hope that in my lifetime, the reality that your time has come, I would hope that in my lifetime, I would live today to see the day that on the Capitol grounds, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the United States of America would stand facing the Washington Monument on a very cold winter day. The Chief Justice would raise his right hand and have a person stand in front of the Chief Justice, him or her, to stand in front of the Chief Justice and have that person extend the right hand into the air. And when the Chief Justice finishes with his oath of office, I will have lived to see a Muslim, a person of the Islamic faith, become president of the United States of America. Uh -huh. Your time has come.
we have to, but only have the courage to move in a righteous direction. I believe, I believe, I believe, and because I believe, I do. Your time has come. And I thank you, and I welcome questions. Thank you, Congressman. What a fabulous speech. Uh, it's so inspiring to listen to you. Uh, I would like to uh, pose a couple of questions that have been submitted. Uh, are you able to hear me, Congressman? I hear you quite well, and I thank you so much for your kindness. So ever so much. Thank you. You, you are you are so dear to all of us, Congressman. Our community celebrates that we have actually someone a, deal, a leader like you uh, that is guiding us. So we are indebted to you for your friendship, and I uh, want to thank you one more time for your kindness and your friendship. Let me uh, pose this uh, question. A couple of questions have already been uh, submitted. With the understanding about how important participation in the electoral process is, how exactly do the Muslims community participate? Thank you. You are already participating. I would suggest that we add a, another phrase to the question. How do you participate at a different level? Because you have supported persons who are now in the White House. And I don't mean simply as persons who are there to aid and assist the president and vice president. Uh, you, you have supported persons who now occupy the top two offices in this country, president and vice president of the United States. I believe that the next level of participation is to run for office. I believe that we should select persons to run and we should do all that we can to support righteous candidates who want to run for office who happen to be of the Islamic faith. I believe that when you select the next step in the process is to elect, select, elect. That means that we've got to do all that we can to make sure that those persons get the votes that are necessary, uh, the votes that can make the difference in an election. Select, elect. And the reason we engage in selection and election, because at the end of the process, there is something called collection. And the collection does not mean that you are in it for selfish reasons. It means that you are there to make sure that there's never a Muslim ban. It means that you are there because you want little boys and girls who grow up in the Islamic faith to know that when we say anyone can be president, it includes them. So we have to start with selection, then election. And then we can show the world the extent to which persons of the Islamic faith, who, who are persons desiring peace and prosperity for all, how, how, how such persons can make a difference. But it takes courage. Someone has to run for governor. 
Someone has to run for attorney general. Someone has to run for district attorney, and county attorney, and Congress, as has already been proven to be the case. But it, it is time, and we should not allow the stars to align before we acknowledge that it's the time to do the right thing, and that is to run for office to make a difference, not to hold a position, but to make a difference, a positive difference. Fantastic answer. And the second one is, how do we as Muslims do our part to fight Islamophobia? We as Muslims, and by the way, I'm Christian, but I say we as Muslims because quite frankly, um, the tenets, the righteous tenets are the same for the religions. Righteousness transcends the caption that we frame ourselves with. So uh, I and we uh, as Muslims, uh, we have to, to demonstrate with our words, deeds, and actions that our righteousness is worthy of consideration, that our righteousness is greater than that which divides people such that they are excluded. Uh, there will be difficult times. I, I don't pretend to, to say to you that it's easy to do these things, but I say to you that there is great joy in doing the righteous things in life, uh, especially uh, when these righteous things uh, bring you to a different place in life such that you can be of help to other people. So I, I would simply say, let us continue to, to demonstrate with words, deeds, and actions who we are, uh, and uh, the rest uh, will, will fall into place. Thank you, Congressman. Uh, we'll take one more last question, even though there are more questions coming, and then due to time constraints, we'll have to make this the last one. Um, how do you believe foreign policy factors for Muslims in a Biden administration? Well, I think that foreign policy is important in any administration. Uh, Dr. King gave us some sage advice. He said that we must learn to live together as brothers, and I would also include sisters. We must learn to live together as brothers and sisters, or we will perish together as fools. This is what foreign policy is all about learning to understand that we must live together in peace. Uh, we, we are no longer in a world wherein we can assume that leadership of the superpowers is something that can be uh, misused and abused with impunity. The world has changed so much in my lifetime and yours, my dear brothers and sisters. It has changed so much that it is a fragile place. And if nothing else, we should understand from the previous administration, and I don't want to become uh, overly uh, concerned with the previous administration, but I think this is a good time to use it as an example. 
we should have learned, I believe, just how fragile the relationships in the world are and how fragile the, the democratic principles that we cherish in this country are. Um, we, we never thought we'd see an insurrection in Washington, D.C. Uh, prior to that January date. Uh, I did not. I knew that there might be a protest and a demonstration, but not an insurrection. And the previous administration did not value diplomacy. Uh, diplomacy is the art of maintaining peace. It's the art of, of being able to understand the other person's point of view and also having that person share your point of view. We have to live with sovereign countries now, many of whom have the power to change the world as we know it in an instant, in an instant. Please do not become fearful of what I'm about to tell you. Don't become fearful. Let it lead you to greater understanding because I'm about to tell you something most significant. We live in a world now where even a minor nuclear device can create chaos unlike we have never seen. No one knows what capital markets would be like the day after. No one knows what the, 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 the boundaries will be the day after. So diplomacy has to prevail over kinetic actions because if we fail with diplomacy, we may not be able to put the genie back in the bottle such that we will have the normalcy that we desire and appreciate. I think that the Biden administration, to be more specific, has demonstrated a desire to extend the hand of friendship to all. The Biden administration has extended the hand of friendship to Iran. Uh, the, the, J, the, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action is something that the Biden administration puts value in. That, that is a peaceful a protest, pardon me, that is a peaceful approach to having sovereign countries uh, continue to maintain their sovereignty, but they respect the sovereignty of others. I believe in the Biden administration. I'm supportive of the Biden administration, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to fail to speak my thoughts when I think that there is something that ought to be uh, challenged. I think this is, this is why I'm elected to not only support, but to be a part of uh, those who would want to see change and who would speak up when the change that we seek is not manifesting itself in, the, in its proper time. But I think that this president is going to do well. He was in Houston yesterday. This is a very long answer, so please, I know your time is short. I just share this. He was in Houston yesterday. I had an opportunity to be in his company along with colleagues. And um, I observe people closely when they're in my environment. 
And just to, to be with him and hear him speak of family and talk of what his father, the sage advice his father gave him and his mother gave him. And to hear him um, speak of how he wants to help people. Uh, th that's the kind of domestic diplomacy that I like. And that's the kind of domestic diplomacy that leads to uh, international diplomacy that will help us to maintain a world order that will allow all sovereigns to respect each other and still maintain their sovereignty. And I thank you for allowing me to have that very long answer. Uh, but uh, I, I hope that it, it, it in some way satiates your desire to understand my position as it relates to diplomacy. Thank you, Congressman. You are very kind. Uh, uh, your uh, answers have been very educational. Um, uh, lastly, I would like to congratulate you on the COVID relief fund, $1.9 trillion. Uh, this is an unprecedented amount uh, that has been passed through the House. Uh, I know you stayed up very late uh, to vote, uh, and I want to thank you for uh, supporting obviously this uh, COVID uh, relief fund bill, which was badly needed. And with this, uh, if you could. May, may I uh, have one comment to this, what you've just yes. said, if I may? Yes, I sir. promise to be terse, laconic, pithy, and concise. Sure. Dear friend, the most important thing in that piece of legislation, above and beyond all else, is the fact that it gives hope to people. Yes. It gives hope and it brings help. The help is important, but you don't want people to lose their hope, to, to, to live with such uncertainty that they don't understand what their destiny has in store for them. Um, there's, there's this question about, do you know why the cage bird sings? I know why the cage bird sings, because the cage bird wants freedom, and the cage bird wants to use its wings to fly and to enjoy the freedom that that God created for birds. But I also know something else. I know why the caged bird doesn't sing. When the caged bird loses all hope, the caged bird no longer sings. A sadness envelops. And as a result, the bird simply wastes away. Well, we cannot allow this to happen in this country. This $1.9 trillion is all about making sure that we have a good economy, that we take care of the health needs of people. But more importantly for me is to give people a belief that their hope is going to be realized because there will be help. Thank you again. Thank you, Congressman, uh, for your time. And uh, we will probably wrap up the program now. I want to once again thank uh, Sayed uh, Jawad Al-Khizwini, for organizing this. He has been working hard for several months now in uh, putting together this fabulous uh, global international program. And uh, I hope to continue to support his efforts uh, in the coming years. And I hope uh, and wish him all the best. Thank you so much, Congressman, for joining us. God bless you.